following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Uh, we are in Ruth chapter 1, and you're probably thinking to yourself, where's Ruth? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It is in the first part of your Bible. Uh, Ruth is a history book. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but you have the Law, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then you move into Joshua and Judges, and then you get to Ruth, and uh, we are going to be here for four weeks, and then my dear friend Tiberius is going to come preach a message to us, and then we're going to move into Galatians, so that's kind of where we're at uh, this year. Ruth is uh, kind of a revisit for me. Um, it's funny, we did a series called Ruthless with our teenagers way back in youth ministry talking about principles on dating, and then uh, it, it just seems appropriate that we talk about dating and marriage and other principles within this text this year as we start off uh, 2021. And I was going back and I was looking at the ways that I used to speak uh, to teenagers, and then I compared those notes to what uh, I have been uh, uh, preaching uh, this past year, and things are a little different. <laughs> Illustrations are a little different. Um, content is a little different, and it is good to change. Let's just say that. So I wish I could go back uh, and, re and redo those with the teenagers. But regardless, it is what it is, and we're moving in here, and hopefully we'll get a lot out of this series on Ruth. We're going to cover the whole book four weeks, and we need to understand Ruth. Ruth is a history book, okay? And what it, it, it means to be a history book in the Bible is essentially you go with those first five books of the Bible, and then you have a history on these people, God's people called the Israelites, who either do what God says they should do, and they find themselves extremely successful, or they do the opposite of what God wants them to do, and they find themselves frustrated. Ever been there? All right. So uh, God has given his commands already, and he said, I want you to live this way, and here is a record of all these Israelites that moves us into this Jesus in the New Testament. So the history books are extremely important for us because what they do is they show us how we got Jesus and how God is sovereign throughout all time and all history. It's very important for us to study the Old Testament because we can't understand the New Testament unless we have the Old Testament and what God has done. Now, according to the Talmud, which is just a Jewish religious law and theology, their books and stuff like that, they believe that the prophet Samuel wrote Ruth. Now, that's a far stretch, if you ask me, because it never says in the book of Ruth who wrote Ruth. We just know that it was penned and it was written, and you can claim Solomon, or you can uh, claim uh, Samuel if you want, but uh, I don't think you're right, okay? So we're just going to go that, but we, we won't fight about that, okay? Uh, the text says nothing about that, but we do know when it transpired, and Ruth roughly takes place about 1,200 years before Jesus 
comes on the scene. So we have 1200 BC before Christ, and it's written from this standpoint of this woman. We're going to get to her in just a second. Her name is Naomi, and she has been compared to what we call a female Job. And if you know Job in the Bible, you know that Job experienced all these trials and tribulations and went through all these things, and people have looked at uh, Naomi, and they said she's very much a Job type of figure. And so everything is written from her kind of perspective, and all the events go back to her, her husband, her sons, her daughter-in-law's, uh, excuse me, and their relationship. One commentator I think is really interesting when talking about Ruth said, Ruth is the view of God through the eyes of a woman. And for all the guys out there, life is better through the eyes of a woman. Amen? Like, it's just, it's just good, all right? So see, women, I'm on your side, and you can just be like, oh, great, awesome, absolutely. If you look at life through the eyes of a man, it's fast, it's quick-paced, we go into the store, we see what we want, we buy it, and then we leave. All right, that's how women just take everything in, and it's all good. And so we see God, we see how he works, we see how he moves through hurting and broken people, and we see some of these relationships on dating, some of these principles on marriage, and then we see some of these principles on just how we're supposed to live um, as we uh, mature in our relationship with our creator, okay? So let's take a look, um, and we're just going to start by laying some groundwork in the first five verses, okay? So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. See? Judges. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, okay? There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, uh, excuse me, Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He took his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. Those are easy and easy to pronounce, and the names of his two sons are also debated, and Bethany and I were talking about this this past week, and she says, you always pronounce these two names wrong, and I said, prove it, right? Uh, Melion and Kilion, and that's what I'm going to call them from here on out, okay? So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, whatever. Uh, Some people say Chilon, some people say uh, Mahon, whatever, Who cares? They had two sons. Those were their names. Now, their names are important because they mean some certain things. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to unpack that. But names and name meanings are extremely important in the Old Testament. And essentially, we see there's some names there uh, that are important. So don't uh, let my ignorance um, stop you from understanding the biblical text in regards to names. They're they're very, very important. All right. But they were, uh, all of them, okay, this family, they were uh, Ephraites. And again, there's me pronouncing things in a, in a wonderful way, from Bethlehem in Judah. Awesome. They went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died. And so uh, Naomi um, was, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, Naomi um, was a widow, and she is left with her two sons, verse 4. And those two sons took Moabite wives, one was named Ruth, and the other was named uh, Orpah. Uh, and I used to always tell the teenagers her name was Oprah, but they changed it. And they lived there about 10 years, and both Melion and Kilion died so that the woman was left with her two sons and her husband. Oh boy, what is transpiring? Well, let's walk through this text just a little bit, and let me give you just two keys to understanding or getting a proper foundation for the book of 
Ruth. There is a situation at hand, and the situation at hand is important for us because it's going to uh, be uh, groundwork for the rest of the book. And in this situation, these events that are taking place are happening because God's people are being unfaithful. And God is bringing judgment upon these Israelites via a famine. Why would he do that? Because the people in this time period worshipped a god like Baal, and they worshipped idols, and they believed that those gods were the landowners who controlled the fertility of the land. It would be very similar to a farmer coming into our congregation and saying, Jordan, isn't the god of the cornfields good to us? And we would say, that doesn't make any sense. God is good to us, right? And, and they would say, no, no, no. Uh, I put up a, a piece of wood in the middle of my combine, and I pray to it three times a day, and that gives me a fertile land. Uh, okay. That's exactly what these people are doing. And God looks at it, and he hates the worship of idols. He can't stand it. He can't stand when worship goes to somebody other than himself. And so he brings a famine to try to get the people to come back to him, and he wants them to see that he is in control of all things, including the land, and he wants them to worship. Now, there's a New Testament connection here, and here's kind of the first principle that comes up when we start to uncover the book of Ruth, and that is sometimes God will give you over to your sinful desire so that you will see the error or fault in your ways and return back to him. Sometimes the sin that trips us up and entangles us, God will let us kind of go down that path and he'll say, okay, you tell me, how's that working out for you, right? And you'll get to the end of yourself and you'll think, man, where is God? Why is God doing this? And he's saying, I'm doing this to get it, to get you back to me. And you understand this as parents, don't you, right? You love it when your kids struggle, Right? Because it shows them that they need somebody else in their life that is going to come and is going to help them out. And God looks at here and he says, At times I will give my people over to their sinful desires so they can see the errors of their ways and return back to me. Let's look at the actual people and places that are taking uh, place here too as well. Elimelech is from Bethlehem. He is also called an Ephraite. And uh, that would just be like us saying uh, somebody who is from that area. So like, for example, if you're from South Bend, you're a South Bendite. If you're a Mishawaka, Ian, you're from Mishawaka. If you're from Wyatt, I don't know what you're called. <laughs> um, in trouble. <laughs> and he's sojourning, which just means he's going to reside in another place temporarily with his family, and he moves to Moab, which is about 50 miles away. Now, Elimelech is not really a godly individual, okay? We look at Elimelech, and we think to ourselves, man, like, he probably loved his wife, he probably loved his kids, and that's probably true, but he's off in regards to following the living God, and how do we know? Because God removes his hand, okay, here in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem's called the city of bread, and there's no bread in Bethlehem, and he says, if there's no bread in Bethlehem, then I'm going to go to another place to get bread, and he's going to move to Moab, which is a horrible choice. Why? Because... Moab and the people of Moab were excluded from the congregation of the Lord. They're all pagan worshipers of this god Chemosh who are similar to Baal. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 through 6, it specifically says, These people are not my people. And Elimelech's choice leads to his death. So we would say that Elimelech's decision to move his family led to his death. And sometimes when you choose to sin, you are choosing to entertain the option that you could die from that sin. 
Okay, And so what we have here is a problem with godliness and worship. And Naomi has a problem. And her problem comes from her husband's disobedience. So sometimes, sometimes you have a situation in your life and a circumstance in your life that is hard and you struggle with because of somebody else's sin. So your choice doesn't necessarily just affect you to sin. It also affects others too as well. And here, Naomi's got a big problem because now she's got to raise these boys by herself. Now, she should have, at that moment, gone back to Bethlehem, but she didn't. So Elimelech's sons marry these Moabite women. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we see that these marriages are condemned. But Solomon, later in the text, he shows us that there's a big problem being unyoked with somebody who doesn't worship the same God that you worship. All right, And so what we see here is, in 1 Kings 11 and Malachi chapter 2, um, these two boys who marry these Moabite women, it is believed that their death comes because they disobeyed the Lord too as well. And so there's, there's lots of unfaithfulness that is transpiring here in the text. And God is trying to open our eyes so that we would see that he wants us to worship him and him alone. So uh, when we were talking to teenagers, what we always said is, choose your spouse wisely because if you don't, God might kill you. And, And in reality, we have to choose very carefully who we are going to marry. So if you're dating, all right, you need to find somebody who loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you need to encourage people to do the same, all right? And when we honor the Lord and follow the Lord first, then we see our values are going to take place. Now, Roy Disney, who kind of got um, a bad deal because he was, married, or he was the brother of Walt Disney, right? Can you imagine being Walt Disney's brother? That would kind of like being James, Jesus' brother. Can you imagine that? If you were only like Jesus, you go home for family reunions and stuff like that, and all of a sudden your mom looks at you and says, Roy, what have you done with your life? Well, I didn't create a mouse, uh, but, you know, I'm doing okay. But I think he has more to say than Walt. For example, Roy Disney once said, it's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. And I don't know if he knew Jesus or not, but it's not hard for us to make choices and decisions if we know who our God is and what his word says. So when I'm up here and I'm telling you, hey, you should be reading your word and you should be studying your word, I'm not doing that for my health. I'm doing that to help you and us as a congregation to make good, godly decisions for our year and our year to come and our next year after that and after that and after that. So a lot of times we look at it and we say, well, there's not a lot of times where I understand Scripture when I read it, and there's not a lot of times when I understand why I'm praying to God. You might not understand why you're doing it in that season, but a season later down the road, when that verse starts popping up in your head, you'll realize that you were glad that you were diligent with the Word of God when it came to you and that you were on point. Our values have to be the Lord's values. They have to be outlined in his word, and we obey those above all. Before anything else, we have to honor the Lord. Elimelech did not honor the Lord. He moved his family to another location. The boys, I don't think they honored the Lord because they, moved, they married these Moabite women. And now there's a problem. Okay, now you might be sitting here and you're saying, hold on, Pastor Jordan, uh, I messed up. Uh, my husband or my wife doesn't know Jesus. Like, do I get to divorce them? Do I just dump them? Like, how am I going to go home and have that conversation with them, right? Like, should we, should we just, and, and does that mean I'm going to die? Like, I don't want that to happen. Well, hold on a second. Peter talks to that a little bit, okay? Peter says in chapter 3, verse 1, wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over with, uh, without words by the behavior of their wives, 
And I'd take that a step further, and I would, I would say, with your words and your actions, you have the ability to pray and to serve your spouse so that they would have the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Never give up on your spouse. If you are married, you stay married. And if you are married to an unbeliever, your goal is to get them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay? So that should have been these boys' whole um, goal, but uh, it happened. Okay, so let's, let's keep going. Um, verse 6. Now, here's some foundational relationship principles that are going to come out of the text. And it's not just necessarily marriage and dating, but we also have some other relationship principles too as well. Then she arose, and she being Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. We don't have anything here. We don't have anything good going on. Everybody's dead. Nobody else wants to die. So let's move back uh, to Bethlehem. For she had heard... Now, this just goes to show that she was working in the fields, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. If you're patient enough, God will work in your hardship. Okay? In just that little verse, we see, if you just would be patient enough, God will work. You give up uh, before you get to the finish line. Most of the time, people quit right at the finish line. And so here we see uh, that if they would have just waited, they would have been okay. Seven, so she, Naomi, set out from the place where she was going to go with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah, all right? Verse eight, but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, because she looks back and she realizes they're coming with her, she says, hold on a second, go return each of you to your mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord would grant you that you would find rest. Now, Naomi is obviously a confused widow who is severely depressed because the Lord is not in this place, right? And she's essentially just trying to get them to go away, right? And everybody who has family that they're questioning about would do that, all right? Nine, the Lord grant that you would find rest each in the house of her husband. And so she kisses them. She lifts up their uh, voices and all of them weep together. Three widows weeping together. Whole wow. Can you imagine their pastor? All right. And they said to her, no, hold on a second. We will return with you to your people. Well, that's kind of a little bit of a change of pace. But Naomi said, oh, turn back my daughters. Verse 11. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? That's her joke. Turn back, my daughters. Go on your way. I'm too old to have a husband. Woe is me. If I say there uh, that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? And that is uh, quite the statement. 13, would you therefore wait until they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, that would not be the case. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. And here's the key in verse 14. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and went back to her wicked ways. But Ruth clung to her. Now that's going to be important for us as we look at the text. Because what they're chasing ultimately here is security. And that's what we're all chasing in every relationship that we have. We want to be secure in the relationships that we have. We want to make sure that there's security in the relationships that we have. So Naomi's extremely insecure. She has no confidence. Of course she doesn't. Her husband's gone. Her sons are gone. And she decides to go back to Bethlehem and start over. 
And Orpah and Ruth are now family. She has a dilemma. And there's another couple of keys here to understanding the security that all three of these women are seeking after. Let's look at this in regards to terms. The first term is return, and the second term is kindness. Now, the Hebrew word for return is used several times in the first chapter. It's used three times in verse 11. Return, return, return. And what we see about the word return and how it deals with security is Naomi returns by reversing the direction that her husband took and she finally starts to go away from this Moab, the heirs of the past, and go back to her homeland, which is ultimately a place of security. So she realizes how insecure she is and now she wants to go back to the place that she knew was secure for her. T.J. Bach, which is an old missionary, said, Security doesn't depend on our conception of the absence of danger. Security is found in God's presence in the center of his perfect will. And for Naomi, the center of God's perfect will is in Bethlehem. And she realized that she missed it. And oftentimes we do the same thing with relationships, and oftentimes we do the same thing with anything that we participate in. We think we're going to find security in that which is secular, but ultimately we find security in that which is sacred. And the reason you don't find security in the secular is because the secular only grants temporary happiness, but security found in the sacred provides eternal holiness. And eternal holiness does not come without discipline and does not come unless it is consistent. And if they would have just been consistent, they would have seen how secure they really truly would have been. Surely the Lord has come back and he has given us food. It is never too late to return to the Lord in any area of our life. True security is found first and foremost in coming to the Lord, in salvation, number one, and then two, in daily dependency upon his word, will, and ways. I cannot be secure in any other relationship outside of my relationship with Jesus Christ if I do not have Jesus Christ at the center of my life. It's so important for us to understand here that we have to return away from our wicked ways and come to the Lord. And so security is found first and foremost to returning to the Lord. If you haven't Come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to do that. That's the biggest decision that you'll ever make. And then daily depend on him. Why? Because this word kindness comes up, which backs up the security word. So kindness here is the word hased. Go ahead and say it. Super fun. Hased. Hased. All right? Hased or kindness is the same word that talks about God's loyalty to his people and the acts of grace or undeserved favor. Naomi wanted the girls to see that God would be loyal and give his grace to them, but she points them to the wrong place. She points them to that which is secular, not sacred. And she does that just because she's going through a lot of things. And this is temporary security, and Ruth knows it, and Ruth understands that there's a problem here. I cannot have true kindness. I cannot have true security unless I have what you have because I have heard what the Lord has done. Don't mistake what Ruth knows in her head to be true. And that is the Lord has returned back his favor to your homeland, to your people. He has not given favor to our people. And so we need to go back. And Ruth is going to be the catalyst to get Naomi back on track in her relationship with the living God. 
And so what we have here is one woman, Orpah, leaves security, safety, and kindness and goes to the world. And one woman, Ruth, clings to uh, Naomi and says, I want to leave this world for another life. So Ruth trusts Naomi's God for security and kindness. And she does all this, ready for this? On faith. She has never, to our knowledge, been to Bethlehem. All she does is know about it. She has never, to our knowledge, met anybody from Bethlehem. She is trusting 100% on faith that Naomi's God is kind and that there's security in Naomi's God and there's security in her relationship with Naomi. So how does that apply to marriage or dating or relationships? Well, for those of you who are dating... Your security has to come through Jesus Christ before you ever get in a relationship with somebody else. There are too many, far too many females, and I'll even say males for that matter, who jump into relationships and try to find their security in their significant other instead of their savior. And that's where we have the start of a massive amount of problems. But also what we see here is too, it happens in marriage as well. Because, and I do this with marriage counseling all the time, in marriage counseling, what we do is we put uh, a stick figure on the left and a stick figure on the right, and we draw a triangle. And we say, listen, as you seek the Lord, and as you are seeking the Lord, you are moving up, and we put a cross at the very top of that triangle. And when you are seeking the things of the Lord, your relationship with your spouse will grow in intimacy. So both partners have to be seeking God's best in order for their relationship to be uh, sacred. Does that make sense? So oftentimes, you're off in your dating life, in your marriage life, in your relationship with others because you're being selfish instead of seeking the other person's best. True love is seeking the other person's best. Jesus sought the best for us when he died on the cross. And he says, there, you do that to other people too as well. So when we're unkind, our relationship with Christ might be off. Marriage is only a competition when we compete on who can show the most Christ-like loving kindness to one another. And we'll see it here in the text. Naomi and Ruth are going to fight for that. They're going to fight to show loving kindness to one another. And in that loving kindness, we're going to see the return to the Lord, but we're also going to see the security increase and the bond is going to increase. All right. So <clears throat> same is true with, with God. All right. Number two, uh, let's look at verse 15. Keep going in the story. And she uh, says, now that's Naomi, to Ruth, look, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. I don't understand why Naomi constantly pushes Ruth away. She needs her just as much as Ruth needs Naomi. But I think she does this because she's just dealing with a lot of stuff. She's been through a lot of things. Life is hard for her, okay? And, she, and when we get emotional, logic just kind of goes out the window. She's a very emotional person right now with everything uh, that's going on. 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Now watch this. Watch the kindness increase. Watch the return increase. Watch the security increase. Ruth said to her, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I'll go. And from where you lodge, I'll lodge. And here is the clutch statement. Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. That's Salvation 101. Where you die, I'll die. And where you are buried, I'll be buried. Now, may the Lord do so to me, more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that look in her eyes, 
And that faith that she just pledged, and she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. All right, you can come. Now, here's what that boils down to is there's commitment in this relationship. But that commitment started with a commitment to the living God. Both females at this moment are committed to now doing what is right. Naomi urged Ruth to return to her home. She uh, commented on Orpah's decision. She knew if Ruth went with her, it would change everything for her. And Ruth leaving was a choice to remove herself. Now, I want you to highlight or underline or whatever you have to do in your Bible, Ruth's declaration of faith. Because in verse 16, it is so important as Ruth confessed, your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. This is 100% abandonment from what she knows of the secular world and now she's moving into the sacred. This is 100% commitment. This is a break from the past. It was like Abraham. Ruth decides to leave her ancestors, the idolatrous land, and go to the land of promise without an encouragement of a promise. Again, she's doing this on faith. And how many times does God ask us to act on faith? She has no idea what her world is going to entail. She has no idea if she's ever going to get married again. She has no idea if it's going to be safe for her. As a matter of fact, she's going back to Bethlehem, and these people in Bethlehem know that the Moabites are not a part of the congregation of the Lord. She doesn't know if she's going to be persecuted. She doesn't know if there's going to be problems. She doesn't have any idea what's going to transpire moving forward into this foreign land. But she does it all on faith because she knows that if Naomi's God is a living, active, moving, wonderful, sovereign God for her, then maybe he would be the same for her. Now just pause for a second. Let me just ask you a question. How many people would come to faith in Jesus Christ because they see your faith as a believer in Jesus? How many people see that same faith exhibited in your life with all the situations and circumstances that transpire and would be moved to look at you and say, hey, I don't know what you do. I don't know where you attend. I don't know what you do in your quiet time or whatever the case is when nobody else is around, but you do do something and you because your God is moving and active in your life and you have an unshaken, steady faith and I want that for me too as well. I mean, if we look at this, I, I was extremely convicted in studying this passage because I'm like, man, I don't know if I have any roots in my life who look at me and say, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. That's hard. And notice this isn't an emotional choice. This is just doing what is right. Ruth is making a choice, a choice to come and to die. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, which is way back in the Holocaust time period, he said something that I think is really interesting. He said, the cross is laid on every single Christian. And I would scratch out that Christian. I put believer. And the first Christ suffering, which every man or woman must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is, it is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. And when we give ourselves over to the Lord, we give over our lives to death. It is a call to come and die. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it, is, it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Ruth is experiencing those things in this moment. She's experienced communion with God because of her faith. Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man or woman, 
he bids him to come and to die. You done that? Are you in that boat? I mean, we're moving into like 2021, and I know a lot of us have an agenda that we're looking at God saying, you have to meet all of these things on my agenda. And God's looking at you saying, hold on a second. You didn't put me in any one of those things. How many of our agendas in 2021 are all about us and not about the Savior who died for us? See, Ruth is going to abandon everything she knows to be true, and she's going to run to Naomi's God because she knows that he is the one who is fruitful and has the ability to produce a good harvest. How does that apply to marriage? When we entered into security of Christ, we answered the call to come and die. And one of the things that, and I say this out of love, as much love as I possibly can, for those of us who are married, you made a pledge to come and die. It's no longer about me. It's about what my spouse needs, what my spouse wants. This is hard to say because my spouse is here, (laughs) right? It's no longer my needs, and you meet my needs, right? No, how can I meet your needs? Way back in the Jewish tradition, they believed that their opportunity and obligation was to radiate so much of the living God to somebody else that all they saw was the living God. And this is exactly what is going on here. We are 100% committed to our marriages. We're 100% committed to relationships. It's, we're all in until death. All in with Jesus means we're all in in every single relationship, whether you're dating, whether you're married, or whether it's a relationship with somebody else, it's a call to come and die. So Ruth looks at Naomi, she said, hey, whatever you want, I'm in. I'm all in. And she's going to take care of her here in the text. So look at verse 19. Let's watch how it closes. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem's a really small town, okay? Like, why it's small, okay? I know I pick on Wyatt a lot, but it's small, okay? And when they came to, the, to, to Bethlehem, the whole town is stirred up because of them. And it's believed that about 10 years has transpired. Now, one pastor makes a really good comment about what has transpired. And he says, stress weighs on your body. And he says, because of the stress that has transpired, there's probably a good amount of people who come and see Naomi and Ruth, and um, her face has aged. And they're like, well, hold on a second. Is that, is that Naomi? You shaved your beard. She didn't have a beard, all right? But he says, hold on a second. Isn't that, isn't that Naomi? Look at that in verse 19. And she says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, she has uh, blinders on because she can't see the way that God is going to work. And that's often the case sometimes with people when they get into crisis. And if you go back uh, over to verse 13... Um, she uses the word bitter, and she wants to be called Mara now because she understands that she is bitter. She's bitter about what God has done and what God is doing, and she can't see the big picture. But she's going to ride Ruth's faith for a little while. So Naomi, 22, returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter, with her, probably shaking to this, uh, to this Bethlehem from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, That's the time of the year that we get. And so what we see here is, okay, even in grief, Naomi emphasizes that God has great power and provisions even in her state, in her grief. And she, as well as Ruth, are starting to take God seriously. If there was a prayer 
that I had for you in 2021, it would be that you start to take God seriously. If we know anything to be true in 2020, it was that God can and will do whatever he wants. And that culture and community changes on a dime. Amen? It just does. And so when we are focused and we're attentive on the living God, our prayer must be that we take God seriously. And she, here, okay, where we see Naomi is in this world with Ruth, and now she wants to have uh, her, her soul filled. One commentator said she left Bethlehem because of a food famine and returns with a famine in her soul, which sets the stage for the rest of the story. In order for God to do a great work, we have to empty ourselves in all things. And to start 2021, that's what we want to do. We want to empty ourselves. We're going to take communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And we're going to focus and put all of our attention back on Jesus. And we're going to take him seriously. In our relationships, in our workplaces, in our marriages, in all things. And we are going to compete with one another to show godliness as much as we possibly can, whether it be in our marriages, whether it be in our other relationships, whatever our hands find to do. We're going to ask and plead that the Lord would show us how much commitment and security can be solidified when we're focused on the living God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it, 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 it... I feel like I shouldn't stop there because chapter two is, is so good. And so is chapter three and chapter four. And it kind of feels like a cliffhanger as we uh, conclude our time this morning. And I, I long for you to come back and, and to return when time doesn't exist anymore. And when we have time to just continue to be together. God, our prayer uh, for 2021, my prayer for 2021, is that we be committed and focused on serving you and you alone. That our eyes would be fixated on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great work that you have done in our lives and the work that you're doing through our lives. We have to be fully committed to you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a little blue bookmark in front of your pews and it just says, may I ask you a very simple question. Has anybody taken the Bible and shown you how you can know for sure that not only you can go to heaven, but you can have a relationship with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to take a few moments and just read over that. I would encourage you to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And for those of us who are gathered here this morning, we need to recommit uh, to Jesus Christ. We need to recommit our relationship to him And it's just simple as uh, here in in this sanctuary, or maybe you're at home, just saying to him, God, I commit my life to you. I abandon my ways and my will. I want to be conformed to yours. I want to be 100% committed in all things. I want to be committed to you in the morning when I give you that time. I want to be committed to you when I'm driving in my car. I want to be committed to you when uh, I'm talking to people. I want to be committed to you when I'm serving my spouse. I want to be committed to you when my head hits the pillow. I want to hear your voice, God, over and over say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
God, we also ask uh, as we move into this year that our security would be in you. Last year just proved to be this kind of wave that we rode and some of us got uh, sucked into the undertow. And I'm reminded, God, of the disciples who were on the boat and the storm's raging and you're sleeping because you know who is in control of the storms. And so, God, would you help us to remember that our security and our anchor is in you and you alone? That our trust is in you and in you alone. And this world is going to be all over the place. There's going to be trials and tribulations, but let us consider it pure joy because we have a relationship with you. That you were kind to us when you died on the cross. You're kind to us when hardships come. You're kind to us when we have seasons of goodness. And as Paul said, we've learned to be content in all situations and circumstances when we're grounded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we now move to taking the Lord's Supper, God, and um, spending time in communion, we ask that uh, it would continue to align us to your will and to your word. It is in Christ's name, our Messiah, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.